Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we're taking notice of the world around us by seeing people. Not just the people you have in your inner circle or the people you come into contact with at work, church, school, or even the grocery. I mean all people, from the itty-bitty babies who get all the coos to the elderly who sometimes get forgotten. It's time to celebrate and learn from every season of life. Are you in your prime? What season is that? Is that when you're just starting out and the world is your oyster? Or is that when you have finally figured out that life is for you and not against you? That you can overcome life's challenges and learn from disappointment, pain, and sorrow? Not sure I can cover all the angles of this idea, but I can get you thinking and curious to know more. Most importantly, I would like to give you an awareness of the value of each stage so that you can take notice and see people. This idea came to me in the midst of a people-watching session during some recent travel. Are you a people-watcher? Ooh, I love some good people-watching. We recently returned from New Orleans French Quarter. Need I say more? But this recent travel involved a few airports. Perfect people-watching. You have time, nothing to do but wait on your plane, and plenty of people to watch. But most of the people around me were on their phones, texting, searching, FaceTiming, playing games, or just clicking through their photos. Even though I was watching them, they weren't watching me. It dawned on me how little we casually interact these days. The airport and a long flight used to be the best time to make a new friend, learn about a new job or industry, and share a little about yourself with a complete stranger, knowing your paths probably wouldn't cross again. Colleen Walsh shares the value of talking to strangers and nodding acquaintances found at the Harvard Gazette. She produced this during COVID and the shutdown, but it's something to keep in mind going forward. We need these interactions. It's the conversations with the local barista, a bus driver, a casual work acquaintance, or a person in line at the store that make up what the expert call weak ties. Individuals we don't know well, if at all, but who nevertheless contribute to our happiness and sense of well-being. These ties are critical to our well-being because they end up giving us the opportunity to vent, confide, brainstorm, and discuss things that we think are important. This says Mario Lewis Small, Harvard's Grafstein Family Professor of Sociology. Because of COVID-19, we don't have that many opportunities to just run into people anymore. Not just strangers, but also those who are not exactly strangers, but people we know casually or because they're in our profession or line of work. Research suggests that there are many reasons these informal connections are so beneficial. They're typically brief, taking up little time in our overscheduled lives. They offer people a way to be seen, heard, and appreciated, as well as the chance to express gratitude. 
They frequently come free of any expectations. They are likely to be bridges to other communities and networks. And perhaps most important of all, according to Small, they can help us cope with some of life's most pressing challenges. People may think otherwise about themselves, but they will repeatedly, willingly, and even without much reflection, confide deeply personal matters to individuals they're not close to, even to those they barely know. This writes Small in his book, Someone to Talk To, which looks at how individuals decide who they will turn to when they need to talk something through. In his book, Small also notes that approaching individuals they're not especially close to appears to be what adult Americans do more than half the time they confide in others. Why do we opt to share personal information with strangers instead of friends or family? For Small, empathy plays a key role. We often talk to a colleague even though we may not know them well, because we think they'll be able to relate to the work problem or concern. It's this idea of cognitive empathy, the ability to understand your predicament as you understand it. Yet we confide in casual acquaintances or even strangers sitting next to us on a plane with news of cancer diagnosis or pregnancy before we tell those closest to us. Something else is going on. In part, Small explained, we do so because we don't want our secrets spreading. You don't tell your mother about something very embarrassing because the whole family's going to know. Ashley Willens from Harvard Business School said, We're overscheduling our calendar to compensate for the lack of social interaction. But in doing so, we're not leaving any time for these informal interactions. Perhaps most surprisingly, Small found adult Americans frequently share deeply personal information with someone simply because they were there. As part of the research for his book, Small asked a group of people to describe the last time they spoke to someone about a sensitive topic and whether they were planning to talk to that particular person, planning to talk to somebody but not necessarily that person, or not planning to talk to anyone. The last two categories represented roughly 40% of the replies. These results point to the fact that life doesn't come to you at times when you're conveniently in front of your spouse or your parents. And so the answer, because they were there, suggests the need for venting strongly supersedes a rational belief that we have to be careful about whom we vent to. With social distancing and working from home come fewer chances of in-person encounters in our daily lives. Small recommends turning to an informal messaging option like an online chat function as a way to check in with colleagues or friends. Besides making us feel less happy, the lack of casual interactions also may be undermining productivity. According to Harvard Business School assistant Professor Ashley Willens, The loss of impromptu office conversations isn't good for morale or the bottom line. Willens, who co-authored a recent paper titled Why You Miss Those Casual Friends So Much, said weak work ties represent an underestimated source of sense-making and of creativity. 
There's something we need to build time in for, not only socially to increase well-being, but also to have that kind of sense-making process in the workplace or the water cooler conversation that's now gone missing. Most workers find that they attend at least as many meetings as before. In many cases, more. This is because in many cases, remote work can call for more coordination. But this structural virtual contact lacks something important. Impromptu conversations in office kitchens or corridors often go a long way toward helping employees feel connected to their colleagues and to the work that they're doing. She said the hallway conversation is not happening, so some people are not understanding what the work is or not feeling like their team is cohesive or on the same page, which can lead to difficulty in getting things done. In addition, there's increasing evidence that more time spent on video conferencing calls is associated with higher levels of stress. Reports suggest Zoom calls heighten our anxiety and leave us exhausted, in part because we have to work extra hard to understand video conversations in the absence of nonverbal cues that are obvious in face-to-face exchanges. Harvard researchers have also found that many of us are working longer days. So when it comes to scheduling time for a call with friends and family, that too can feel like work instead of a break from the daily grind. We're over-scheduling our calendar to compensate for the lack of social interaction, says Willens. But in doing so, we're not leaving any time for these informal interactions within our personal or professional lives, which are so critical. When looking to connect with weak work ties, and even with close family and friends, Willens, like Smalls, suggests a quick chat, meet up for some coffee, instead of a long Zoom conversation. We need to reduce the default setting of our one-hour video calls and give each other a break. If I'm not interacting with people, I love to make up stories in my head about who they are, where they're going, and what they do for a living. Do you ever do that? Well, this spurred a new idea through a bit of a challenge. Old people. You heard me. See, many of us are so focused on where we're going that we forget to think about where they've already been. When someone retires, their hair turns gray, and they move into a different season of life, they become old and many times forgotten. The elderly. We lump them into one category because we aren't sure what to do with them. Grandmas and grandpas. Old people. But they are and have been so much more. They're inventors, revolutionaries, leaders, advocates, and world changers. They have witnessed things like the spirit of St. Louis, the building of the Empire State Building, the Great Depression, Prohibition, the New Deal, the Dust Bowl, the Holocaust, Pearl Harbor, women going to work, V-Day, the Vietnam War, the first man in space, L.A. riots, civil rights acts, and the first Super Bowl. We can go on and on. Instead of running to them for a true history lesson, we ignore them, help them across the road, but we ignore them. Soon, that history will be buried with them and we'll have no firsthand accounts of this history.
Shelley Lyford asks an important question. Have we forgotten our nation's seniors? Found at HuffPost.com. While the number of seniors in America is growing dramatically, the amount of charitable giving to this increasingly vulnerable population has remained roughly the same for each of the last 20 years. It's truly a travesty that each year less than 2% of all philanthropic dollars go toward helping older Americans age in place with access to high-quality and affordable health and social support services. We must do better. How could we let this happen when millions of seniors across the country, especially those living on fixed incomes, are forced to choose between food, medicine, and shelter? What's more, many must navigate a complex health and social support system that's not currently scaled or structured to meet the needs of a growing, aging population. Out of 105,000 private, nonprofit foundations in America, only a few are dedicated solely to addressing the needs of our older adults. Shelley said, recently I talked to several leaders in aging to get their perspective on the importance of philanthropy and asked why so few charitable dollars are focused on seniors. Here's what they had to say. The need is so large that many feel their philanthropy won't make a difference. This comes from Dr. John Feather, CEO of Grant Makers in Aging, a leading national association of charitable foundations and corporate giving programs, which works to improve the lives of older adults. However, a society that is better for older adults is better for people of all ages, and philanthropy can and does play an important role. I believe ageism is the root of why more philanthropic dollars are not dedicated to older adults. This comes from Laura Rath, Senior Program Officer at Archstone Foundation, a nonprofit foundation that has been awarded more than $102 million in grants to help meet the needs of the aging population. Also, a confounding problem is viewing aging as a zero-sum game, where if one gains, another must lose. Improving the lives of older adults has the potential to improve society in general. Philanthropy often serves as a catalyst in bringing attention to less visible but increasingly important challenges facing our communities. This comes from Anne Monroe, Chair of the Board of Directors for Grantmakers in Aging. From the increasing economic and medical pressure on family caregivers to the lack of strong social policies supporting healthy aging, philanthropy has the flexibility and resources to develop new models of care and drive the public and policy decisions needed to support successful and respectful aging. Now is the time for philanthropy to move our country forward by investing in strategies that enable every older adult in America to age with dignity and respect. Says Mary O'Donnell, Senior Program Officer, the Retirement Research Foundation, a private foundation that has awarded more than $200 million in grants to improve the quality of life for our nation's older adults. Gary and Mary West Foundation just celebrated its 10 10- year anniversary. 
As CEO and president of the foundation, Gary said, I have seen firsthand the power of philanthropy in kickstarting and shining a light on innovative models of care for seniors from geriatric emergency departments and senior dental centers to aging in place programs and senior wellness centers that offer health, wellness, social support services, and nutritious meals every single day of the year. Gary said, we've awarded over $175 million to 181 grant recipients who are making real differences in the lives of seniors everywhere. And we have only just begun. The Gary and Mary West Foundation, Archstone Foundation, and the Retirement Research Foundation represent the handful of foundations focused solely on aging. Others include the John A. Hartford Foundation, H.W. Durham Foundation, the Scan Foundation, and Isaac H. Tuttle Fund. But this small group of foundations simply cannot do it alone. This is the one time I wish we weren't so unique in our laser focus on seniors. We're trying to serve as a catalyst for philanthropics and other foundations to get involved, come up with new solutions, and raise awareness about the critical issues facing our seniors. Seniors are our parents, grandparents, teachers, friends, neighbors, and our veterans. They deserve our best thinking, our utmost respect, and greater attention from our nation's philanthropists and foundations that have the power to galvanize and create a better place for seniors who taught us, cared for us, fought for us, and now count on us. I want to share with you one of the greatest speeches. Follow these three rules to have a successful life from Lou Holtz. Louis Lou Holtz was born January 6, 1937. He's a former American football player, coach, and analyst. He served as the head football coach for the College of William and Mary, North Carolina State University, the New York Jets, the University of Arkansas, the University of Minnesota, the University of Notre Dame, and the University of Southern California. Let's listen to his wise words. I want to give you a simple plan. So maybe you to follow those five assumptions. And this is not something I talk about, it's something I believe, and it works. And I wish that I'd learned it when I was 21. There's only three rules you have to follow. Life doesn't have to be complicated. We complicate life. I'm going to make five assumptions about the people in this audience. I'm going to assume you want to be successful professionally. I'm going to assume you want to have a good personal life. I'm going to assume that you want to feel needed. And I'm going to assume you want to feel secure about your future. The fifth assumption I'm going to make is you want to go to heaven. I'm going to give you a simple plan how to do all five because see, you don't have to sacrifice your religious life, your personal life in order to advance professionally. They all work together and don't complicate it. I try to keep life simple. Do you realize there are only seven colors of the rainbow? Only seven. Look what Michelangelo did with those seven colors. There's only seven musical notes. Look what Beethoven did with those seven notes. There's only 10 numbers. Look what Bernie Madoff did with those 10 numbers. 
The point I make is it doesn't have to be complicated. See, you need four things in your life. If you don't have any of these four things in your life, you're gonna have a tremendous void. See, everybody needs something to do. Number two, everybody needs someone to love. Number three, everybody needs someone to believe in. In my case, it's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But the fourth thing you need in your life is you need something to hope for. What do you want to do? Having hopes and dreams and ambition. See, I think that is absolutely critical. Don't make the mistake I made. I've done a lot of dumb things, but let me tell you the one thing I regret. We went to the University of Notre Dame, we took a program on the bottom, we took it to the very top. And for nine straight years, we went to a January one bowl, the sugar, the cotton, the orange, or the fiesta. Nobody's done it before, nobody's done it since. We put it on top and we maintained it. That's the thing I regret the most. See, there's a rule of life that you're either growing or you're dying. The tree's either growing or it's dying. So's grass, so's a marriage, so's a business, so's a person. Doesn't have a thing to do with age. My birthday candles cost more than a cake. <laughs> but it has everything to do. Am I trying to get better? Am I trying to prove we got on top? You say, you know, this is pretty good. Let's maintain it. Let's not take any risk. We finished second in the country at Notre Dame. Everybody called me an idiot. Guy finishes last in medical school. They call him doctor. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> When I left Notre Dame, I never thought I'd coach again. Where'd you go from Notre Dame? According to my mother, you go directly to heaven, you sit by the Pope. You, you don't coach anymore. And then I went to live in a town where the average age was deceased. And what I found out, I wasn't tired of coaching. You have to have something to hope for, something to dream. And even though you've done great things so far, what's going to happen now? I want to give you a simple plan. So maybe you to follow those five assumptions. And this is not something I talk about, it's something I believe, and it works. And I wish that I had learned it when I was 21. There's only three rules you have to follow. Law number one, do what's right. Do what's right and avoid what's wrong. If you have any doubt, get out the Bible. I do not think it's right to find a teammate's wallet before he lost it. See, that's called stealing, son. I found it, but he hadn't lost it yet at all. I understand. Just do what's right. There's never a right time to do the wrong thing. And there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Just do what's right. I think it's right beyond. It's right beyond time. I think it's wrong to practice sexism, racism, spousal abuse. I think it's wrong to be bitter. We've all had injustices done by society, by a spouse, by a professor. I do respect professors. I prefer to my own. But you know what? Don't go through life where you're being bitter, where you pass away, your spouse has to hire six ball bearers because you don't have friends. Just do the right thing. And I think it's also right to have an excellent positive attitude. See, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy life, have fun. You're gonna have problems, you're gonna have difficulties. That's part of life. Because you graduate doesn't mean you aren't gonna have problems. And don't tell people about your problems. Do you know that 90% of the people don't care? <laughs> and the other 10% are glad you got them. So you're better off <laughs> keeping your subject. You're gonna have problems. But have fun with what you're doing. If you have fun doing something, people have fun being around. 
Every day I walked out on the football field, first thing I said, boy, what a great day to work, and I meant it. Because if you have fun being there, people have fun being around. Rule number two. Do everything to the best of your ability with time allotted. You know, ladies and gentlemen, not all of us be All-American, not everybody can be first team. Everybody can be the best you're capable of being. And I wanna tell you, if you wanna fail, you have the right to fail. That's what's great about this country. You do not have the right to cause other people to fail because you don't do everything best your ability. When you join a spouse, you bring a child in the world, you join a business, you join a team, you have obligations, responsibilities, and you owe it to other people to do the maximum you can at each and everything you do. It's not complicated. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know this. I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, I know. I was born in Fallsby, West Virginia. <laughs> and I went by where I was born last night about 10.30. I was born in a cellar at home, delivered by Dr. McGraw. We had one bedroom for my sister, myself, and my parents. We had a half bath and a kitchen. Seven and a half years we lived in that place. There was no welfare. There was no food stamps. There was no safety net. But I always had plenty to eat. Because every time I asked for seconds, my dad would say, no, you had plenty. <laughs> but the reason I was born with a silver spoon, my dad had only gone to the third grade. That's all the education he had. But why was I born with a silver spoon in my mouth? Because I was taught by my parents. The life's a matter of making choices, wherever you are, good or bad, because of choices you make. Don't blame anybody else, but if you get an education, you're willing to work and overcome problems and difficulties, in this great country, you can amount to something. That's how I, that's why I was born a silver spoon. I was in this country and I was taught personal responsibility for choices you make. And when we talk about a commitment to excellence, that's a choice you make. The last rule to show people you care. When you walk in the room, your attitude, hey, here I am, look at me. I thought, no. Your attitude, there you are, how can I help you? It was not complicated. But just genuinely caring about people because everybody you're going to meet the rest of your life needs a smile, needs a kind word, needs an encouragement. Because see, when you do the right thing, people are always going to be able to trust you. My wife and I have been married because we can trust each other. I'd never lose the trust. But the only way people are ever going to trust you is if you do the right thing. That's all God wants us to do. Do the right thing. The second thing is do everything best your ability because then people will know you're committed to excellence. You want to be special. Not to say, hey, here I am, but help other people and caring about people. See, a lot of you are going to be successful. You're going to go make a lot of money, and when you die, it ends. But hopefully, everybody in this graduating class is going to be significant. The significant is when you help other people be successful, and that lasts many a lifetime after that. People say, would you like to be 21 again? 
I wish I knew those three rules when I was 21. I've used them for the last 40 years. There's a statue of me at Notre Dame. I guess they need a place for the pigeons to land, but <laughs> if you go look at it, just don't look, to look at three words on the pedestal. Trust, commitment, love. You know, it dawned on me, there is only one time we're trying to grow up, and that's before we do. We spend so much time wanting to get older and then trying to get younger. Have you reached the point of satisfaction? Perfection is a dirty lie, because even if you think you found it, it's riddled with imperfections you can't or didn't want to see. You're chasing a mirage. For women, so much emphasis has been placed on physical beauty of a person and very little about her mind, her character, or kindness. We spend so much time trying to be beautiful instead of just being beautiful inside, which immediately transfers to the outside. For men, it might be money, status, and power. Not realizing the power you have to change the world by transforming another person's outlook and life. What you're chasing already lies within. There is so much we can learn from each other if we just take the time and pursue knowledge like we pursue perfection. Eric Baker shares 10 life lessons you can learn from the smartest older people found at time.com. Before the 50th reunion of Harvard Business School's class of 1963, they asked them what lessons they would pass on to younger people. This isn't firm scientific research, but we ignore it at our peril. We can learn much about life from those who've seen it to the end. So what did they say on leadership? Here's an anonymous quote. I would have been a better leader if I'd been less cocky in my earlier career and more confident in my middle career. Robert K. Bowen says, A successful leader knows as much as he can about his organization's mission, believes in the mission, communicates the mission clearly, points the way, and then gets out of the way. Ron Leslie said on careers, Steps to find fulfilling work. Number one, take the initiative to investigate the places you think are of interest. Ask good questions. Number two, go with the self-assurance of having written on an index card each of your past accomplishments including where you simply helped other people do their thing in three forms. A simple phrase, like top salesman in New York office for three years. A three-sentence statement of the problem, your solution, and the result. And a one-page explanation or anecdote to share if asked to give details. Number three, Use those cards deftly to encourage people to talk to you. Showing you listen on their level and understand whatever you tell them. Remember, the more they talk, the smarter they'll think you are. Ralph Linsalida on marriage and family. Tell your spouse and children that you love them every day, no matter how you feel. Don't bring your problems home with you. 
Realize the joy that comes from helping your spouse and children excel in their fields of interest and enjoy themselves. Develop within your family a sense of obligation to help others. Spending quality time with your family, not just time, is critical. Choose a spouse who will understand and support you and one for whom you will do the same. Life is much better if you can help each other grow and expand your knowledge, experience, friends, and capabilities. Ron Leslie. The sweetest words in the English language are, Granddad, would you like to... Donald P. Nielsen on business. Not all decisions turn out well. Be prepared to deal with problems over which you have no control. Almost everything will require more money and more time than you think. Never settle for good enough. Always strive for excellence. Set high expectations for yourself and those whom you work with. Move quickly to deal with people issues. Hiring smart, driven people is the ticket to your own success. Warren Bats on Wealth I was born in 1932 and grew up during the Depression. In the beginning, poverty was the level to which I aspired. When I reached it, my next goal was to get out of debt. That took several years. Then my goal was to become financially independent. After reaching independence, more money was not a great motivator for me. My interest became trying to make a difference. Making the company I worked for successful and working for my church and other volunteer organizations. Growing Older, Anonymous Retire to something, not from something. Stay engaged. Be physically active and intellectually curious. What about charity and spirituality? This comes from J. Lawrence Wilson. If one is devoted solely to promoting the welfare of himself, his family, and his friends, life can be barren. Charity, faith, and spirituality enrich one's life. Faith or the belief in a power greater than oneself seems to be important for humans, for spirituality is part of every culture. If this spirituality fosters concern for the welfare of others, it is of great benefit to society. No matter what a person's professed faith, I admire him if he's charitable. Henry A. Gilbert on happiness and success. Success and wealth are being a lover and being loved. Success is using your tools and powers to enhance the lives and success of others. Success is capitalizing on economic opportunities, yet treating others with overreaching kindness. J. Lawrence Wilson When I think back over my career, I'm struck that my fondest memories are of people rather than experiences, places, or accomplishments. Ralph Linsalida on Turning Points What did I learn from the turning points in my life? Look for great colleagues, role models, and teachers. Be certain to understand the opportunities relative to the risks and how the risks can be avoided. Recognize your strengths and weaknesses and act accordingly. 
Play to your strengths while you work, but work on your weaknesses. Jerry Woolen. Many things that happened in my career were the result of random acts. The most important thing is to keep your eyes open to recognize the right moves. Jose M. Faustino on Life's Lessons. I switched fields twice in my academic career. I believe the entire experience was part of growing up. The lesson here for young people, don't hesitate to switch interests, majors, or fields of concentration. Find your preference or your passion, then focus on it with your heart's content. Success is a journey, not a race. Prepare well, retain good practices, and make a habit of effective strategies. Number one, don't be content with average. Mediocrity breeds boredom, poor opportunity, and an unsatisfactory lifestyle. Instead, decide to excel in everything you do and be distinctive, if not unique, in your approach. Number two, take well-analyzed risks particularly when there's everything to gain and little to lose. Don't be afraid of rejection when you've competently and ethically tried to succeed. Number three, be skilled in political strategy. Interpersonal leadership and motivational skills are all important for success, but few consider political strategy. In my mind, there is organizational politics in any group with more than three people. John A. Moeller. An important life lesson is learning whom you can rely on, depend on, and trust, and whom you can't. Only experience and a gut feel can teach this. Human nature and values, whether of business owners, top management associates, or staff, vary all over the place. Steering your life, family, career, time, investments, and loyalty toward those you can trust and rely upon is a priority. Never forget where you came from and always remember what you're here for. Be true to your values and faith. We are here for a purpose. Enjoy the ride. One of the best ways I've learned from others is to create the perfect environment to share. I stumbled into support groups, really, but from the first one I attended, I felt a closeness to the others in the room that I couldn't describe. Since then, I've put my finger on it. The closeness came from vulnerability and opening up about challenges, dreams, goals, successes, and failures. Trusting others to listen to you without judgment and then returning the favor. It works. Don't let the term support group scare you away. There doesn't have to be anything wrong with you to want to connect with others. It's normal. Did you hear me? No matter what is socially acceptable today, connecting and sharing with others, even strangers, is normal. Find a group or create one of your own. Typically, I bring a topic or idea to the groups I lead to get us started. Then attendees can share about that or whatever's on their hearts. I'm there to keep us encouraged and on track, but the real magic comes from the interactions outside of me. 
If you want to learn more, reach out to me and I'll give you information on starting your own group in your area. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, see people, slow down and take notice, intentionally reach out and connect with someone to share and learn. Every stage of life is captured in the people around you. Don't let them go unnoticed. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone's rude until the past was clear. That's when I found.